0: Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast where we are talking all things Galatians. You maybe have seen, but we are in a new teaching series here at Coastline about the book of Galatians. So Sean, Michael, and I talk about some of the main theological themes, some of our hopes for our congregation as we jump in to some of the deeper themes of Galatians. And we just talk about what it means to live in freedom with grace, away from some of the moralism and temptations to live that type of life. And so if that sounds like something you're really interested in, this is a great conversation for you. But if that sounds like something you don't know anything about and you want to know more, this is also a great conversation for you. So I really enjoyed sitting and talking with these guys. We start on a real big Jimmy Buffett train of thought, and then we end up getting really deep into some great theological topics. So if that sounds like the Coastline Covenant podcast, then boy howdy do I got some good news for you. This is a good one. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week and every single week after that. Welcome, another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast. First of all, I want to say publicly thank you to everybody who reached out and sent their condolences this weekend after the personal loss of Jimmy Buffett. It's a hard weekend for me, but
1: and the kite event being you know delayed.
0: None. Of, one of Heart, those. One of those on is, two levels, Hunter. One of those is really sad, and the other one is a kite event getting canceled. So just <laughs> one is loss of life, sure. And, sure, and one is a kite event getting canceled. Yeah. So. Moved. Moved. Oh, yeah. Not even canceled. To this weekend. Which, again, we can then rank what is more sad.
1: And does anything honor the memory of Jimmy Buffett more than flying a kite? I mean, that feels like kind yes. of how he went through his life anyway. Just
0: I could think of probably three things. Okay. Uh, drinking a margarita. That's what I was thinking. Okay, and, number two, and two is. <laughs> Having a cheeseburger in paradise. <laughs> and number three is. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask Sean, can you name five Jimmy Buffett songs?
1: Um. She's a in paradise, Margaritaville, Pina Coladas. Nope, nope. Oh. You'll never convince me he didn't sing that song.
0: It oh, is the oh, most, oh. Hunter. It's the
1: most Jimmy Buffett song, and it's not even his.
0: The most Jimmy Buffett song I say was his, and it's called Margaritaville. Margaritaville. <laughs> yeah. So I
1: actually, Hunter, I on like Saturday, Melinda and I were sitting in the backyard, and her dad loves Jimmy Buffett. I was like, let's put it on. Let's kind of look at the catalog. And man, that is just a punishing trip for your ears. Is listening to five Jimmy Buffett songs in a row it is. Not good.
0: For $20, yes. could you name the person who really sings the song that you're referring to, Pina Coladas? No. Okay. But
1: again, isn't, this is the funny thing. He's become such a caricature that that song is really his song, even though he didn't sing it. Can you imagine being the guy who actually wrote Pina Coladas? And no one will ever give you credit for it because it's such a Jimmy Buffett song.
0: Rupert Holmes. Exactly. Poor old Rupert. But if you type in Pina Colada, it's Rupert Holmes and then Jimmy Buffett on Spotify. Exactly. That's pretty funny. It's insane. He, he did do a lot of covers, but I don't know if he covered that. He might have. I'm not too familiar. So you don't know any other Jimmy Buffett songs besides the three you named?
1: Uh, wait, wait. I just read about one, Misteka in Jamaica. I just read about that one. Wow. Yeah. Word,
2: wordsmith of a generation. Yeah.
1: That's, in, <laughs> it, that's why it's
2: not great i think- just found out yesterday that it's five o'clock somewhere is not a jimmy buffett song it's song he's featured on it's just a song he's featured on with alan jackson right correct i did not know that
1: again it's more of a jimmy buffett song than an Alan Jackson song. hundred <laughs> percent he created an ethos of music and everybody else is just living in it
0: if you want to get really philosophical about it you can say that jimmy buffett i think the thing that appealed to him the most the thing that appealed about him the most was that he could connect to the most typical American citizen who just wants to get to the weekend. Like he capitalized on this desire to just not work and go on vacation and relax and hang out with your friends and family. And he turned it into a billion dollar empire.
1: Dude. My favorite Jimmy Buffett song, banana pancakes. Okay. Such a good song. Oh my song. gosh.
0: He knows it's Jack Johnson. He has a smile <laughs> on his face that you can't. It's podcast. Never convinced me that's not a Jimmy Buffett song.
2: Podcast is an audio medium. But Are if you, you saying see Jack, the John- Jack Johnson is a contemporary of Jimmy, He's Jimmy Buffett? He's JV
1: Jimmy Buffett, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Junior varsity. varsity. Jimmy Buffett.
0: Wow. Well, anyway, I just want to say thanks. I woke up to 17 text messages on Saturday morning. People just knowing that that was going to be effective and really hurt me. The the death of Jimmy Buffett. And it didn't. And we had a hard we had a hard and, Saturday. And if
1: you should post somewhere your article that you wrote about when did they start yelling salt, salt, salt? Yeah. During that the, was
0: some deep investigative journalism. He was
1: friends. If you've ever been <laughs> impressed by Hunter's brain and his ability to focus on the minuscule pieces of life. There is nothing like this.
0: Sean's referring to the the phenomenon that happens during Margaritaville Live where in the recorded version, searching for my lost shaker of salt, salt, nothing. Live, searching for my lost shaker of salt and the crowd was salt. salt. And I was thinking, when did that happen? And I found out. Anyway, we're here talking about things that are more important than Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) The book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, which I'm, I'm psyched about because I love a book study. I love when we can do a whole book at church. I also love when we can take something that some would say is complex, some could say is difficult to understand and not pare it down so people can get it, but call people to the text, call Mm -hmm. people to what is happening in the book of Galatians. And Sean, I've heard you say this several times, Galatians is a tough book of the Bible. And so I want to ask you from a pastoral perspective, what makes a book of the Bible tough? That's
1: a great question. Um, Typically, I think... A book of the Bible is challenging when it gets kind of really embedded in um, the culture and time when it's written, right? So Leviticus is hard because it's so embedded in the culture. Sometimes it's hard to kind of figure out how to apply it to ourselves. Uh, I think uh, Galatians can be similar in that it's embedded in a culture of Jewish life and and how does that kind of exist in a... Um, a modern world of evangelism. So Mm -hmm. I think usually being embedded in culture and then just complex ideas that require previous biblical knowledge. Right. So I think sometimes revelation is hard because you have to have such a huge understanding of all the other books of the Bible. Mm. If you don't, you're just lost. Yeah. In Galatians is hard because you have to have an understanding of some of the salvation history in the old Testament. And if you don't, it is just a very strange book. So lots of probably other reasons, but, Those two in particular, um, embedded in culture, embedded in in kind of the history of the Bible, Galatians is very much, um, has those two things, which makes it uniquely hard to understand.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating to hear your answer because Galatians, I think, sits in a unique space to where it is so theological, but the culture that Paul is writing in, writing to, writing against is such a theological culture. Like the the way that these people, and I'm sure we'll talk about the context, the way that these people were hearkening back to Jewish belief and having it implement how they act. It was like implemented in everything they did. Like you have to know not only how it came out culturally, but how the religious beliefs came out in their private life and their practices. It's it's really weedy and there's a lot happening in Mm -hmm. the book of Galatians. And so Sean, why was this the next step for Coastline?
1: Yeah, Um, so I originally read that Beth Moore and her daughter were doing a book on the book of Galatians. This was about a year ago. And I remember her quote was that she couldn't think of a more relevant book for our time than Galatians. And when she said that, I thought, I don't understand understand why you would say that. It's a book that where Old Testament law and circumcision are a main focus. How could that be relevant to anything happening here today in America? Um, And so there was a curiosity about it. that was, I think kind of initiated by that. Um, as I began to study it, I began to see some parallels of, of their world and ours. Maybe most specifically, I think the question is, what does a Christian look like and sound like today? Hmm. Um, and I think the book of Galatians is asking that question. And I think in light of all that we've been through over the last three, four years, that feels relevant. Um, like something that we kind of are wrestling with what, What should we do? Who should we be? Um, Who should we be affiliated with? What should we not be affiliated with? What should we fight for and against? These are all questions I think Christians are answering in different ways. So that felt relevant to me as well. Um, But when I was trying to chart out the preaching for the rest of the year, I put about 20 ideas in front of the staff and to uh, Janine and Andrew and said, give me your thoughts on which of these resonate. And I remember in particular Galatians, Janine and Rochelle and Andrew came back and said, I think that's the number one book they want to preach. And I felt the same way about it the way I did about Esther. I said, this is going to be really hard. I don't know if I want to do it. Are you sure this is what we should do? And the feedback and the encouragement kept being yes. And I'm excited about that. Esther was such a hugely rewarding book. I loved it. Um, I thought it was good for our church. I'm hoping this has a a similar impact.
0: Yeah, same. I'm hoping that as well. Michael, hi i don't feel like you've, you've even said a word hi it's With, me between all the parrot talk and the relations speak you know it's favorite really cool. jimmy buffett song michael none wow <laughs> sorry hunter horrible take sorry buddy yeah listen listen man <laughs> i'll stop streaming revive oh, until no. you listen no to okay i'll listen to jimmy Buffett. pirate looks at 40 streams so michael from your spiritual formation bend a huge i think a huge criticism and we've talked about this a lot a criticism that people have a spiritual formation is like works-based faith right like You got to pray a certain way or have a quiet time a certain way. And that's, I think, a reason that people push against spiritual formation. We've spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about why that's not the case. But one of the big themes in Galatians is kind of the work-based faith idea. Mm -hmm. And so from a spiritual perspective point of view, where, where does Galatians sit with you? Is it a book that you will go to a lot in quiet time? Or is that a book that feels like it kind of hits against some criticisms that you've gotten for the things that you're really passionate
2: about? Yeah, well, I, I would actually, I mean, my argument would be that spiritual formation is is actually the antithesis of works-based faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, spiritual formation is the idea of surrendering um, to the Lord's will and surrendering to his spirit and his spirit's work in you. It's more that it's intentionally surrendering to his work than it is, you know, I think it's it often on the outside looks like oh well I'm just going to go have a really good quiet time every day and that's spiritual formation and and um, we actually were in sermon prep earlier and I was saying I actually think spiritual formation is so much more about getting rid of moral formation and getting rid of the me in in the growth and surrendering to the Holy Spirit being the one who's doing the growth so um, that's the process of spiritual formation I think is is surrendering to the Spirit so. I just want to start there and say I it no I think Galatians is a great book to study if you want to be um kind of growing in spiritual formation. It's it's getting rid of the 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 idea that I am going to be the one who's going to see a result mm. in me. Yeah,
0: and I'm really glad that you said that cuz that's what I was trying to get you kind of say to to lead us on that path of like the works-based faith idea. Like Galatians goes against that cuz that's what Paul is directly preaching against, right? Sean, would you say like there's this wave of people coming into the church and saying, you have to go back to the old Jewish customs, the the law set apart for us in the Torah. That's the only way you can really be in God's chosen family.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, what was actually happening is that, but just with a little bit more nuance, Paul was preaching the gospel to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles, to people who are following the Greek religions. And as they came to put their faith in Jesus Christ, you know, a Jewish Messiah, um, there became all these people saying, well, great, now that you've come to believe in Jesus, you also need to come and convert to Judaism. So you need to be Christian Jews. Even though you're not Jewish by nationality or by, um, by kind of history, you have to go ahead and convert to Judaism and take on all of the law. And that becomes a really huge question for the church. It is, I think, one of the most important crossroads that the church faces, and it was a difficult one about whether or not new believers needed to become Torah-observant Jews as well. Um, the only other conversation I could think of that's at that scale um, comes later with the Reformation, when there's that next split. There are two moments that change the course of the church forever. And so it's a profoundly important book that affects you and I, as I mean, as Gentile believers, profoundly. There's a pretty good chance that you and I could have been um, kosher eating, Sabbath observing, um, Torah observant Jews. If the Book of Galatians had not been written, everything changes because of Galatians.
0: Mm. Is that your hope in the teaching series to just put that in front of people? Everything changes.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. And and what it is is really to show them that the gospel is this message of profound freedom. Mm-hmm. It, it it is is like it is to know that I am accepted by God, not based on what I do in observation of the law or how moral or how good or how committed and dedicated I am, I am accepted by God because of what Jesus has done and that I am accepted through faith by him. And to realize then that all the work that we do, all the life of faith that we live is stuff that is done in worship, but not in a sense to change God's heart towards me in any kind of way. His heart has already changed towards me in giving his son. And so the life I live is one of, It's a freedom and of joy instead of waking up each day with whiter knuckles thinking today's the day I'm going to be really serious about Mm. Jesus.
0: Yeah. Michael, Sean said freedom, and that's a word that I think is going to come up weekly as we Mm -hmm. talk about Galatians. Mm -hmm. What is, in your opinion, what does real Christian freedom look like?
2: That's a great question. Um, I think... I think there's a like a, a basic question of why on earth would we think that the temptation would be to be moral? Don't we think that the temptation is actually to be immoral? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wouldn't we think that as Christians we're all constantly struggling with not being immoral? Just stop being immoral. I actually think that the the that one of the greatest. I mean, yes, that's a temptation. Of course, I think Satan uses our our. um proclivities to sin all the time to, you know, pull us away from God. But I actually think, um, often our, our freedom in God is limited by the fact that we, we feel like we need to earn our salvation and we need to, there's this temptation to actually be moral, to earn some kind of righteousness. Um, and, and so I think we have to ask ask that question, like, wait a minute, are we actually tempted to be moral? What a weird, what a weird thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think our freedom is, is in Christ is often limited because we feel like we have to earn something. We have to gain something in the kingdom uh, that we have not yet gained. Um, and I think it, it stems out of our human condition. It stems out of original sin. Um, we start in this place of, of distance from God um, where we, we feel guilty and shameful. So we hide and we cover and then our temptation from there is to try and distance ourselves from the Holy One, and and earn our way without Him in autonomy away from Him, earn our way into His grace, and and so that's not freedom, mm. <laughs> that is not freedom. And so that that would be my answer. Is I just feel like what we're what we're tackling here is what does true freedom look like. Not my my own version of freedom or the freedom that I can solve myself into, if that makes sense.
1: You should preach sometime. I really like that answer. That was so good. That was so good. I'd listen to you. I'd Thanks, download Sean. that podcast.
0: You're on the podcast. No, no <laughs> the need sermon, to download. The sermon you podcast. got it live. <laughs> you got it live and in color. That's, That's I terrifying. Think, <laughs> I also think, you know, you said something really interesting about, freedom and morality. And I think that as Americans, we get really bogged down with this idea of freedom, especially in terms of morality, because I'm free to do whatever I want. Like, don't tell me what I can and can't do. And there is obviously like one side of the aisles version of freedom. That's don't tell me what I can and can't do. And then there's the other side of the aisles version of freedom. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. But what is like the Christian response to like, okay, freedom is don't tell me what I can and can't do. Like, what does Galatians say about that version of freedom? Because I think that's the version of freedom that that my head goes to.
1: Yeah. Uh, The the way that um, Eugene Peterson describes it is that we are free to travel through life lightly, with light burdens, not heavily weighed down by needing to earn anyone's favor or their respect or needing to make a name for myself or to accumulate enough wealth that I can enjoy this place or to have any enough experiences. I feel like I've really made the most of life that we're free of those kinds of things because what we have is Jesus Christ. Mm. And I have his presence living in me. And I know that I'm approved and loved by him, which, and I have an eternity with him that begins now and extends forever. And so once I know that I have him and that he has me and that I'm safe and secure in him, well then the need to, um do whatever I want or exert my um, liberties or independences however I want to, or fight for the version of the country that I want it to be, or to, um, you know, carpe diem every little moment out of it. Those things fade away um, because now I can just simply rest in him because ultimately if God loves me, if he profoundly loves me, even in spite of all the things that I've done and if he's accepted me because of what he's done with like on the cross, And I can rest and travel. And he almost uses, Eugene Peterson uses the word dance through Mm. life, Mm. resting in this incredible freedom that, that comes from him.
0: Real Jimmy Buffett energy. I'm not going (laughs) to (laughs) lie. Not going to lie. That sounds a little bit like my guy (laughs) down there in the Florida Keys. It's a beautiful picture. And I think it's one that we're all trying to get after in some way, shape or form, like to live a life that's light and free and no burden. And the idea of, other people's acceptance and your own reputation just floats away, but that's mm-hmm. incredibly difficult for someone listening where that's something they're, they struggle with whether it's in their job or their home or in their, whatever they, they struggle with this idea of like not feeling free. Would you say that that person's in sin? Does Galatians like specifically say like, don't live that way you are in sin? Or is this something that, you know, the Bible would have a little bit more nuance towards. I'm just wondering like if someone listens to this and they're like, yeah, but I really struggle with that. Am I out to lunch?
2: Michael, you want to tackle that one? <laughs> well, I mean, if you def- if you define sin as being apart from God, then yeah, they are in sin. If they're not living in the freedom that Christ has called us into, if you simply just say, you know, you're living you're living in your own idea of moralism, or you're living in your own idea of earning, yeah, I think that's that's rooted in pride. It's it's rooted in the arrogance of the self, the belief that I can I can myself attain heaven or attain perfection or holiness. Um, And it's, it's, it's actually limiting the work of the cross. It's saying that the work of the cross actually wasn't that powerful. It wasn't enough. I have to add to the work of the cross. Um, I have to die to my own self or I have to like, I have to um, fall on my own sword, so to speak, in order for, in order for me to be forgiven. Um, And so I do think it, I mean, it's, it's, it's rooted in, in sin um apart from him in autonomy apart from him but i think there is so much grace i think the reason why this is here in Mm. in the scripture is here is because god knows that this is a temptation for us because god knows that this is a human temptation um and there's i mean there's grace upon grace upon grace i don't think that there's one of the one sin that god doesn't have uh grace upon so i think um God knows that we're on the our journey of sanctification and that journey is is can be slow <laughs> and um, and methodical. So that being said, I, I think there's grace for the person who's at home going, I don't know how to stop being mm. moral like or stop living in my morality. I think there's grace for that person I think the Lord understands. Um, doesn't mean he doesn't want he, he, does, he wants you to stay there. Um, but I don't think you need to walk with a guilt that walking with guilt isn't going to help you. Right. It's going to actually f- probably further push you towards moralism. So,
0: yeah, I want <clears throat> to unpack one thing you said, like living in morality, living with my, like with my morals, kind of what you said. What, what, did, what do you mean by that? What what do we mean by that? Because I think that's going to help unpack a little bit of what we're saying.
2: Living, ask it one more time.
0: So you'd said like, live, if, if someone's listening to this and they really struggle with like quote, living in their morality.
2: Yeah. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, is, do you have places in your life where you feel like, uh, you are holding more tightly onto your own morality, than you are onto obeying Christ, or, um, not obeying, let's say surrendering to Christ, in His way. Um, do, you, are, are there, are there things that you pursue harder, like? I got to get up every day and do my quiet time. Mm -hmm. I got to get up every day and pray. I got to get up every day and read um, my Bible. Or uh, am I? You know, I I think here's what I would say. I think if if you ever find yourself with a should in your spiritual life, I should blank. I should blank. I'm not doing this enough. I should be doing this or that, caring for the poor more, whatever it might be. Whenever you hear that word should, I think there should be. Th- you just said it i know <laughs> <laughs> i think whenever you hear the word should um you have to i would it. imagine that there that there would be a uh a kind of a i don't know what the word is like a like a flashing light on the dashboard of your soul mm. going eh, eh, okay something's wrong i have a should here mm-hmm. what is that what is what should i really should i really be pursuing this is this really what is most core to my to my identity in christ and because i think at the end of the day by no means would i be saying that getting up and having your quiet time is a bad thing but you can't manipulate god by having your quiet time Mm. god's love for you is not going to change because you had a quiet time his favor upon you is not going to change because you had a quiet time or because you earned something today in righteousness and so whenever you, whenever you sense a should attached to your walk with Christ, you've got a Jesus and moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, that's, I think that was really well put. And Sean, I want to ask you that, that version of morality that Michael mm-hmm. just illustrated is not so insidious, right? Like you wouldn't tell somebody who came to you like, i feel like I should have done another quiet time this week, so I did, like, pray for me. You'd be like, well, we can unpack that. What What are some more insidious ways that you see, like, the idea of, like, people using the morality to try to, like, quote, manipulate God in the church? Well, I think we all have a sense
1: that there's more of God that's out there, right? That we want to tap into it. Man, I I, I want to experience more of God in my life. And as a result of that, we started thinking, well, how could I actually achieve that? How could I actually experience more of God in my life? The answer to that is usually, well, then moral living. I'm going to really begin to read my Bible more. I'm going to live faithfully uh, in, in purity with my girlfriend. I'm going to give up porn. I'm going to tithe mm-hmm. and give more money to the church. We yeah. have all of these things that we think are going to help us um, reach the church more. Mm-hmm right? Or I'm sorry, re- tap more into what God, who God is. The reality is that we have the fullness of God that's available to us right now. We already have all of God's pleasure and love with us. It's a part of it is becoming aware that God is already with me and that he's already loves me. And out of that feeling, uh, live in faithful living to him and live good lives. Not as a way of getting more from him, but as a result of where we're at. What I think, and that's grace. Right. To realize that I already have the fullness of God, even though I'm still not perfect. That is grace. Where it becomes insidious, Hunter, I think is that, um, Garrick brought this up today, is that when we have not experienced grace ourselves, then we can't ever offer grace to other people. Right. And we can't live graciously within the church. And where that becomes insidious... Right is that we keep level raising the bar for ourselves of where we need to be in order to experience more of God. And we also do so for other people. You need to get serious in your faith and grow and stop sinning. And we become angry. And um, mm. we become, I think, abusive other people. Be, like I would say in church leadership, you, you kind of beat the flock, trying to get them to finally be godly because that's what we do for ourselves. Yeah, I think it's just so much easier for us to beat ourselves and to beat other people than to actually believe that God loves us right now, just as we are.
0: And then, so what is the pastoral task for you and those preaching through the Book of Galatians? What's your pastoral task to get people away from that self, you know, flagellation mm-hmm. and that that negative self talk that comes from? maybe a past church experience or their own internal dialogue that says they're not doing enough.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we should be frustrated with our own sin. We should want to release that and step into more godly living. But part of it is to simply rest in the work that God has already done as being the most important thing, not the work that I'm going to do today for Jesus, but in the work that he has already done. I really, um, I really believe that, For us to get this, we have to try living according to moralism or try to do law first before you could understand grace. Mm. I just don't know if you can understand grace without having first tried law. Like when I became a Mm. Christian, it was like, all right, let's go. Jesus died for me. I want to live for him now. And so you read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you fight against your sin and you fail. And so then you try harder. You put the gas down harder. I'm going to memorize more verses. I'm going to go to camps. I'm going to really begin to uh, share my faith more and more. And we just keep increasing the intensity of our Christian experience, believing that that actually might be it until either we become Pharisees ourselves or we just quit. We just quit.
0: I think a really fascinating parallel to what you're saying is the story of Paul, particularly with the book of Galatians, because he is writing to people who have not only tried law, but think they've, become the experts in law and then can tell everybody else how they're not measuring up. Therefore they're not in the family of God. And Paul's like, you want to compare notes? Yeah. Like we can. And I, my resume is a lot deeper than yours. I've tried this and I failed in a pretty spectacular way. Mm -hmm. And it's actually led me to life. And I think that's probably the crux of the gospel. Michael, you even said in the beginning when talking about spiritual formation, it's surrendering, it's surrendering all those things that you think make you a better Christian to recognize the surrendering is what makes you the quote, better Christian, Right that's yep. the freedom.
2: Yeah, it's actually interesting Sean when you were talking about kind of your experience of when you first became a Christian. So when I first became a Christian, I was a skater kid. So I hung out with a lot of skaters at skate parks without parental advisory. So my mouth was like a sailor's. <laughs> I mean, it was terrible when I first when I first came to know the Lord at junior high age or whatever. Um and and what I what I thought would be like the greatest thing for me when I first started Following Jesus was I got a rubber band and I put it on my wrist and every time that I said a word I shouldn't I would pull that thing back as far as I could and just snap it and Mm -hmm. And like, you know, what's funny is it worked. Yeah, like I stopped I stopped cussing And so right at the beginning of my walk with Jesus was this thought that Dude, I can weed out my own sin. Mm -hmm. I have the ability to stop myself from these habits, Mm -hmm. which is true Yes, That's totally a true fact about life. You can weed out your own habits. You can go and and fix these things. You actually, to some degree, have an ability to. But what I also was growing inside of me at the same time was a self-righteousness and and a thought that that I was greater than others because look at what I was able to accomplish. Others should accomplish this too. And if they weren't, then they did not love the Lord. Then you didn't love the Lord. Why are you even here? Why are you, know? you even here? And I, and I found myself faced with this ugly, sinful, prideful Michael around like early college age where I was like, mm. dude, I really like myself quite a bit. And man, I, I don't know if I actually am thankful for what the Lord has done for me because I don't even know what to point at when, like, what do I point at as to say, like, God, you saved me from what? I've saved myself from a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just saying, like, I think a lot of us kind of ha- were, are trained in the church at an early age, at a base level age to how do you become a Christian? How do you, how do you follow the Lord? Well, you, you do all these things yeah. to, to earn righteousness and holiness and to be set apart. And, and, um, you know, Garrick mentioned it today, you know, Dallas Willard is, is really clear that grace is not opposed, uh, to, to to effort it's opposed to earning so Like putting effort into your faith is a great thing, right? But not when you want not when you start to perceive it as earning I've earned this I have I deserve Righteousness because look at all I've given up or look at how how many steps I've taken um, And I I don't know I found myself there and had to have to, had to do a lot of work of surrendering to the to the gospel to 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 recognize like I've ne- I need this as much as anybody else yeah. So.
0: And it's so fascinating when you think about moralism then says, either do everything more to make yourself not feel so mm-hmm. bad or don't do it at all. You know, like have just a complete, like, well, I can't do any of, I can't have any rubber bands. I can't try to put any effort in. So I love that Dallas Willard quote, cause it really neutralizes it of like efforts, not everything, but it's definitely not the not nothing. Like there is an effort you have to put into your your spiritual life and I think that's actually probably a theme that comes up in Galatians, right? Like you said that in the beginning, how a Christian ought to act. Yeah. You know, cuz Christians ought to act differently. Sure. You know, just like the Torah told the Jews that these people who were Paul's writing against, you know, he they they used the Torah as the reason to live differently. And mm. and Paul's like, you know, there's a different law now, there's a different way. Mm-hmm. And Sean, from your studying and stuff, how have you been navigating some of the different you you know when you talk about it, it's a tough book how do you, how do you navigate some of the cultural things and some of the uh, religious pieces that just don't translate into 2023 preaching
1: sure. yeah there's like huge arguments or discussions in there about circumcision right that's, which is yeah
0: you said it not me yeah <laughs> 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 which feels like
1: such an irrelevant issue for something that's no longer circumcision for the jews was how they set themselves apart from every other nation right Circumcision today is a medical procedure that's done to people of all cultures, regardless of kind of your convictions. Yeah, it's you have to find kind of modern ways to navigate some of those issues. What are um, kind of the things today that would, we would say, inform like what a Christian is, uh, or these are the things that Christians do um, as being kind of things that give us pride or identity markers. I think you could probably point we were talking earlier like christians are reverent you know they're like and so we speak well dress well attend churches with the sort of music that values uh you know the reverence of god and organs and choirs we can do that we can make our own traditions cultural kind of moments and look down on other people for that i think our politics can be the same way of christians always vote this way and have these convictions and divide over people who don't see that way. I think even within our own spirituality, um, how we might see issues of spiritual gifts, um, how we see all, all sorts of stuff. There's ways for us to divide and then give hierarchy to, and then look down upon. Uh, so I think part of the sermon is to to travel to some of those places and, and, and look at it and say, what if, what if being a Christian isn't really about the things that I do so mm-hmm. much as the things that Christ has done? <laughs> That's, I love and that. And really rest in that. And out of that, we begin to live lives that are hopefully moral, mm-hmm. but not like trying to uh, build ourselves up until now. now I am worthy of God's love.
0: So would you say, like, thematically, that's what you're hitting at every week? Like, there's nothing you can do to become worthy of God's love. That's kind of the thesis statement. Or is there, like, every week is a different point under an umbrella theme of Galatians? No, I think
1: that's probably I think the big theme we're going to be coming back again and again is, you've been set free, uh, and so live like people who are free. He's going to say, now, don't use that freedom to sin. Mm -hmm. But also, don't use that freedom to try to go ahead and earn something you already have live in the rejoicing life of walking with Jesus and what he's done for you. Take away the burdens and know that he's already done the work for you. You're accepted and loved by him when you come to him by faith.
0: Yeah. Michael, I'll ask you guys one last question each as we wrap up from, from all these conversations, like the idea of freedom and walking in, the the love of Christ and, you know, being unburdened, I think a big place where you would see that come out in life of a Christian is during worship. Mm. And so what from your experience as a worship leader over the years, like when do you sense, or I guess maybe the question is like, what's going on in the room spiritually when like people are freely worshiping? Like, Mm. what does that look like from your perspective on stage leading? (laughs) Is it just hands raised and eyes closed or is there a different kind of air in the room?
2: Man, well, it's really interesting because I think, I think we can actually have a temptation towards moral, moral worship. Mm-hmm. Like, man, maybe if I just sing this a little harder today, God will hear me. Or maybe if I just mean it a little more, like something will happen here. Um, sometimes our worship can become self-serving in this way of of I, I'm, I'm here, kind of going through the act of worship. Which then I can check a box off and walk in through the rest of my life going, dude, look how holy I am. Look what I did today and look how much I meant it and look how hard I fought for it Um, versus our, our, our goal being the Lord himself. And I think what like, I don't know, I think it reminds me of that verse. You know, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I think that's what that's what free worship looks like. Is his kindness? It's it's you being you being free in the kindness of the Lord, knowing how much He loves you, knowing how much He He calls you His daughter, His son, and 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 yourself uh, not needing to earn, but instead you can just simply honor the Lord as you're called and meant and made to do. Mm-hmm. You are made to worship Him, and 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 being, I guess, like Him being the focus instead of your own what you're going to gain can, I think that's my, that would be my hope is that we as a church would create an environment every week that, that the Lord is the focus and not your own need to earn something or gain something or walk away with something. So worship as the end, not means to the end, right? Like the end being
0: relationship with God, worship, is relationship with God. It's not, okay, since I sang, you know, revive louder today, I'm probably going to have a, <laughs> a better week ahead of me, right? It's it's this idea that free worship is just, you're going and you're entering in to a, a space that has been carved out for you to experience God.
2: Right, like it's kind of coming, coming back to the true things of God, remembering mm. the true things of God, remembering your identity in Him as a child and as forgiven and, um, you know, not forsaken. Like, the, I think those... That is is part of I think why we come back to worship every week Mm -hmm. is it's a it's a kind of a reorienting It's a recalling a recentering back to the truth of your identity in Christ and his worthiness his holiness His That he is he is who he says he is and he is totally worthy of your attention So regardless of how your week is going
0: because it's not because you didn't worship hard enough last week, right? Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like the idea of inviting people to freely worship in this series, because I think that Galatians, we've talked about how heady it is and how difficult it is. And I think that when we start to label books in this way, we immediately distance them from our hearts and just put them in our heads. I'm going to Galatians church every Sunday and I'm going to put on my thinking cap and I'm going to learn something and then I'm going to leave. But if Galatians really is about freedom and freely being a Christian, and that's what a Christian ought to be, then... It's going to affect everything, including worship, especially worship. Mm. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to try to push people towards and invite people into. Sean, last question. Maybe it's a little bit <laughs> antithetical to everything we've been saying, but like, what would make this sermon series successful in your opinion?
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, people's lives might look really similar, uh, if you're living according to moralism or if you're living in freedom, right? You both might read your Bible. You both might pray. You both might attend church. You both might serve. It could look very similar. But what's happening internally for the person is uh, is profoundly different. Mm. If our people could come and simply know that by the work that Jesus has done on the cross, that they are are all already as loved and accepted by God in that moment as they ever will be, then I think that they their lives would feel different, even though it looked the same. Mm-hmm. So my my biggest hope for That's people really is good. that they can rest in Jesus That's and really in His work. Really, and good. out of that rest, you know, we always say we're trying to create, create joyful and courageous followers of Christ. I just think I don't know if there's a way to do it unless you really experience grace and I could rest in Him and out of that love Him back not trying to find a way to get him to listen to me more closely or do what I want or really show him that I'm serious today. Just rest in saying he has given everything for you and his son. You're already as loved and accepted right now as you ever will be.
0: Bada bing, bada boom. That's good. That's good stuff, man. Well, I'm excited for everything we have coming up in Galatians. Sean, you're up a bunch this sermon series. Who else is going to be preaching?
1: Garrick is, I think it's just Garrick and Andrew's got a week too. Oh, great. Wonderful. But yeah, we're, um, it should be good. Ten weeks, lots of circumcision talk. So, it should be it should be good. Ouch! Hang in there.
0: <laughs> and with that, what a way to end the podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week and every single week after that.